So there was a guy working in the church. He's working in the church, and a member of the congregation comes in. It's, you know, it's not during mass time or anything. Nobody's there, and they, the, uh, the parishioner asks this guy, oh, what are you doing? And he replies, I'm here to fix the dead places. I'm here to fix the dead places? What do you suppose he does? Anybody got a guess? He's an acoustical engineer. He's looking for the de- places where the sound is dead. Trying to prove the sound of the church. Yeah, but um, dead places. You know, before our 12 atmospheric rivers that came through, maybe we had dead places in the lawn. Uh, maybe we've had some dead time, you know, that time between classes or appointments that you use productively, creatively, or not. <laughs> uh, dead places, fact of life. Now, some de- dead places, however, can be serious. They threaten the quality of our lives, our sense of life's meaning and purpose, our self-confidence, even our faith. Dead places can destroy a relationship, a marriage, a partnership. Dead places can develop, you know, psychologically, depression, fear, grief, guilt. And dead places can occur spiritually. Emptiness creates a void where faith was. A coldness in the heart can regulate God to the outer perimeters of our lives. Doubt can choke off sources of strength. Sometimes it seems dead places can be more threatening than death itself. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived in Bethany. It was just outside Jerusalem. Jesus had gone across the Jordan to be in a safer place. Jerusalem was not a safe place for him. But Martha, Mary, and Lazarus were three of Jesus' closest friends. He was familiar with their house. He went there often. When he heard that Lazarus was ill, Jesus remained in the place he was for two more days. And when he finally arrives in Bethany, Lazarus had died and had been in the tomb for four days. Now the dramatic raising of Lazarus from the dead takes almost the entire 11th chapter of John's Gospel. And in this chapter, we hear the beloved words of Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will never die. And also, the 11th chapter contains the shortest verse in the Bible. Two words. He wept. Jesus' love for Lazarus and Martha and Mary was exceptional. Finally, standing before the tomb, Jesus calls out to Lazarus, Come out! 
He comes out of the tomb, still bound by the burial clothes. Unbind him. Let him go. Now, this remarkable event is one of the seven signs in John's Gospel. John's Gospel has seven signs of Jesus' power. These, the number seven, of course, is a, a significant number. It means perfection, completeness, seven sacraments, you know, uh, seven days of creation. So, um, here we have the final sign. And it reveals Jesus' power over death, but for his enemies, it also seals his fate. So it occurs to me, where are my dead places? Where are yours? Where in your life or in mine has life been lost? Are your faith, hope, and love buried in some tomb? The great Tolstoy in midlife lost his spiritual moorings. He, he lost him. He says, I felt the ground on which I stood was crumbling, that there was nothing for me to stand on, that what I had been living was for nothing that I had no reason for living. Life was meaningless. Faced with a purposeless existence, he was tempted, you know, to suicide. But he didn't take that route. <laughs> Instead, he started observing the simple faith of Russian peasants. And in this observation, he came to believe that faith stores what he says, the deepest human wisdom. Faith stores the deepest human wisdom and that faith alone makes it possible to live. He wrote these words in his confessions and generations of readers have been inspired by Tolstoy's words, his spiritual awakening, which he called going from death to life. Now, when Jesus finally arrives in Bethany, Martha chides him gently, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would never have died. And Jesus says, your brother will rise. And Martha says, I know he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus makes the resurrection a present tense a reality, calling Lazarus out of his tomb. Now, the author Philip Brooks says, the great Easter truth is not that we are to live newly after death. That is not the great thing. But that we are to be new here and now by the power of the resurrection. Now think of it for a moment, you know, Paul tells us in that second reading, you know, we, the resurrection is a present reality. You are living in the spirit. So that resurrection is, is not everlasting life that is an endless quantity of life, but rather resurrection is a quality of life. 
that is a present reality that begins in our lives right now. So think of the dead places in your past, dark days, suffering, uh, a menacing difficulty that wouldn't go away, a loss that tore your heart out, some wandering in the wilderness that you thought would never end. The terrain of life is full of dead places. And if we have lived any length of time, we have known many dead places. We have gone through many deaths. How have we survived so much dying? And beyond mere surviving, how is it that we've actually grown through these experiences? We have. It is the power of the one who transforms death into life. And not in the hereafter, but in the here and now. Jesus comes to our Bethany's. He comes to yours and to mine. Where we are anxious or depressed in the face of death, he comes as the resurrection and the life. We trust him. We know that he wants to bring forth life from our dead places. Resurrection is not something out there in the future. Jesus makes it a present reality in our lives that you and I experience here and now the risen life.